All right. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of God tonight again with you all. Welcome to online Bible study, in-house Bible study. Um, want to say good evening to the people that are here with us in the house. And again, to anybody out there, we are here if you decide to come on out on Thursday night. All right. So we're going to go ahead and see if we can get started tonight. Remember last week we finished up uh, the book of Philippians and we did not announce which book we were going to do yet. But so tonight we're going to start with 1 Timothy. So we're going to move into 1 Timothy then we'll do 2 Timothy, and probably after that, um, the book of Titus. Um, this should be an interesting lesson. Uh, the book of Timothy, along with uh, Titus, the 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, are considered what they call the pastoral epistles. So basically, then, these are letters that Paul wrote to both Timothy and then Titus, dealing with um, issues in the church. And the outline that we have there for the book of 1 Timothy, the outline we'll use will show that the in, there'll be an introduction that'll go in the first chapter from verse 1 through 17, and then he'll start giving instructions for the church, which will begin at verse 18 in chapter 1 and run through verse 16 of chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, through chapter 6, verse 19, he has a lot of personal instructions for Timothy that we can learn something from. Now, what's interesting about this particular book is that although it's called the pastoral epistles, there are insights that it gives all of us as believers as to what it is that God expects from us. So the good thing it does is it lays a groundwork uh, for the pastor um, so that when they, we're giving these types of instructions or whatever we're saying, whatever we're doing, that people don't think it's something that we came up with out of our own head. Uh, because many times, you know, people will resist. The Bible says it all the time. People resist the truth. So at least you have to at least put it in the book. Um, and then if at least it's in the book, we have some hope that if as pastors we attempt to lay down these um, directions for the church that people at least know it's not something we made up in our own minds, but in fact is something that God uh, has instructed us to do. So before we get started in chapter one, we're going to go ahead and pray and then see if we can move into uh, these verses. So let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we just thank you again for the Holy Spirit that you have given so graciously to each and every one of us and who is the head of the church. We pray and ask in the name of Jesus that the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in your sight, and the Father will continue to grow in the word of God. We ask it even now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, praise the Lord. So tonight we have listed basically 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. Now, we may not get through all those verses, but that, that's kind of the focus because it's really at least 1 through 18 for sure, 1 through 17. Um, is the introduction itself. So what we'll do is read all of it, 1 through 20, and then we'll come back and begin to kind of walk our way through it, kind of a verse at a time like we always do. All right, so let's read together beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to bide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, 
according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should long hereafter believe on him to lead life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So that's our introduction. This son I commit unto thee, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. All right, okay, that's a mouthful. So let's, <laughs> let's kind of take this one verse at a time. Now, remember what we said. You know, a lot of what we hear going on in church, as we call it church, if we would sit and listen to what ministers are saying, most of the time, if we would focus and ask ourselves the question, what are you talking about? And try to tie it to the word. In other words, we don't take a scripture and go off preaching down this road, which is what happens a lot of times. You know, we have this great idea. Um, you know, we read a, a, a scripture and it gave us this great idea, this great thought, and we build a whole sermon around this great idea and this great thought using a verse. So Paul tries to make it clear to Timothy, let me tell you how this needs to go. Now, he starts off saying, you know, basically establishing his authority to say these things, right? Calls himself an apostle. We see that in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So we understand then that this came directly from Jesus, that Jesus is the one who commanded and made Paul an apostle. He is a minister of God directly appointed by God. Now, all of us will say, yes, God called us and God called me and all that, but I ain't never seen Jesus. And I have, although I have this strong sense of doing what I'm doing, to say that God commanded me to do this would be an overstatement simply because I didn't hear God command me personally to do this as Paul did. Paul literally saw Jesus and Jesus told him, this is what you go and do. So this is the authority that he has as he's speaking to us through these verses, and we can take it as authority. Now, one of the reasons that I say this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump over to something really quick, um, and then I'm going to go back. This is, this is my point. Paul is going to make a statement. If you go over to, go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. Go to verse 9 right quick. Look at what Paul says. He says, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair and gold and pearls and costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now stop. Okay, now Paul said that. Pastor ain't say it. Pastor didn't write it. It ain't come from me. Paul said, I've been appointed by God. And the Lord Jesus Christ commanded me to come here and tell y'all, this how you run church, and this is how y'all live. Women, he makes a statement. Now, I could make that statement, and people might be like, oh, I don't know who you think you is, you're telling me. I got to stop being mocking like that. I, I'm not, I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm trying to be feminine or something. I'm just going to say it. You can't be telling me what to wear and how to act and all that. Well, I, I'm not trying to tell you what to wear. God told you what to wear. And you need to listen to God, and if you don't, there's a reason, something going on with you. But that's between you and God. People will make doctrines today about, well, you know, those times are different than they are today. They ain't no different times. People are people. And God said, women professing godliness, there's a way they dress. Now, that's just what God said. I ain't say it. God said it. You can get mad all you want. Now, people always get mad at the messenger won't shoot him. Paul was the messenger. Paul told Timothy... Look at um, the next verse. 
And let's look at verse 3. Let's go there. He says, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So in other words, what, what had happened was people were like rising up out of the church, you know, whether in their little Bible studies or whatever they're doing, and God talking told me this and God told me that, and everybody teaching what they want to teach instead of the doctrine of the word of God. At that time, Paul's letters, the letters from James and others that were coming from the apostles, and the scriptures out of the Old Testament, all that's the word of God. This is what you should be teaching. You know, you take a scripture and you go way off somewhere with your own thoughts, and that's at best your thoughts. Some of them are demon thoughts. The Bible says doctrines of devils. So some of them are doctrines of devils. And you're running off with all this stuff that ain't got nothing to do with salvation, nothing to do with godly life, nothing to do with godly living. Because when it's all over, that's not tantalizing the humans. You know, it's too boring. They want, they want something that's going, you know, exciting, something new, something fresh. Give me, a, give me a spiritual thing. And God's like, no, why don't you just do this? And so that if you can just learn this and do this, you'd be much better off, right? So he says, when he went on to Macedonia, he left Timothy in Ephesus and said, I need you to teach these people. Don't teach any other doctrine. Now, let me tell you where these people came from. If you go to the book of Acts, chapter 20, um, and you'll just have to do that quick verse on this one. Acts 20, and I'm going to, let me see if I can get over there right quick. Acts chapter 20, and I'll give you the verses. If you look at verse... We want to look at verse 17 through 38, all right, 17 through 38. So Paul is at getting ready to go and leave from Ephesus. So when he was at Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for all the elders to come so he could meet with them before he was leaving. Now remember, the letter to Timothy, Timothy is the pastor, and Paul left him in Ephesus to teach them not to do what he had already told them was going to happen. So let's look at verse 17. He called the elders, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews." And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And, beho and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me, save that the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I myself dear unto myself, my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the gospel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter into among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them." Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring that you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all, and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all the words which he spake, that they shall see him no more. 
and they accompanied him into the ship. Now we go back to Timothy. At this time, Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, and he's saying this has happened after this. He met with these people many years later. He's now going on, and he's, as he's on his way back to another mission journey, he tells Timothy, I left you in Ephesus. That's what the letter is saying. I left you in Ephesus because the same thing I told these people, they're doing it now. That basically some of them have coming up, they're saying all, the grievous wolves are coming in, and some of the very people that are a part of the church are rising up, trying to just basically draw off disciples to themselves. They don't realize that's what they're doing, because what they're preaching is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're preaching their own thoughts about the word, and they're going off on all kind of tangents and stuff. So he says, I've left you there for that reason. Then in verse 4, he says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. I mean, you can watch a lot of the TV shows, you know, some of these Christian channels. And these people, I mean, this stuff is so fantastic. That's exactly what it is. It's fables. But everybody, like, they like this kind of stuff, you know. I mean, you know, we're going to break your generational curse from, you know, 600 years of, you know, you come from Africa, and because of that, you got this curse that then went all the way down the line, and so we're going to break these generational curses, they say. And they got a whole TV show on that, right? And their whole ministry is on breaking generational curses. And the thing is that... All this stuff is really fables. This stuff, they're making this stuff up. And everybody's like, well, I don't know about you, but I, I felt it when they, they released me. I'm like, okay, if you say so. I'm just telling you, it's not scriptural. There's nothing in the Bible that if you start, even like when people will talk about deliverance ministry, they'll say, well, you know, I, when the demons start talking, I tell them to shut up like Jesus did. Jesus, if you read what happened most of the time, Jesus told the demons to shut up because they were saying who he was. They said, I know who you are. You're the Christ. He said, shut up. <laughs> he didn't want people knowing. He was, they knew who he was, and Jesus was like, shut up. Come out of him, right? He wasn't saying just shut up because the demon was talking. He was, he was specifically addressing what was being said. Almost every time you would see a demon saying something, they were saying, I know who thou art. Thou art the Christ. Have you come to torment us before the time? And Jesus would say, shut up. Come out of him, right? And so, but now we got this whole thing, you know, these deliverance preachers. You know, they go around and, you know, I'm going to teach you now when you get ready to cast the devil out. You got to do like Jesus. The first thing, they're going to try to talk to you. You got you to tell that demon to shut up. Okay. And so, so now you got this whole group of people who are teaching and they got this little area of deliverance ministry, they call it. And it's like, Okay, well, to explain exactly to me what you're delivering people from, well, some of these Christians got demons. How? That's not scriptural. There's nothing in the Bible that says a Christian, if you were born again, you, was, you were born again, and now you have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God does not live with demons. So your house, if you had a demon in you, trust me, he came out when you got saved. You didn't get saved, and now the Spirit of God came in you, and the demon stayed, and now one of us got to come get him out. That's not what's happening. But people are creating all this stuff because it's very fantastical, and, and, and it's really kind of like, you know, being a witch, but you could call yourself a Christian. I'm a deliverance ministry. I ain't a witch. I ain't a warlock. I'm, I'm a deliverance minister. So, you know, if you've been feeling depressed, and you got spirits of depression living on your life, come up here and let me cast them off you and out of you and all whatever I'm going to do with my power. Yeah, all it is is a whole other form of being like a witch doctor. You know, they can, they can cast spells on people and cast them off people and all this kind of stuff. Instead of just saying, look, what you need is truth. You need to understand that Jesus Christ saved you, that you are now in the kingdom of God. You've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. If you walk by faith and put your trust in Jesus, the devil can't do you nothing. Like he can't dwell in you. He can't torment you. He can't do anything to you. Everything that he does, you have, we have to yield to him. He can't just do it to us. It's plain teaching out of the Bible. But it's so simple that it doesn't garner the kind of, you know, that's why people always say, well, you know, I, I'm looking for something that, you know, is going to make, make things happen. Well, this will make it happen. This is kind of like watching grass grow. Watching yourself grow up, it takes time, and it's slow. 
but it's sure, and it'll happen. But this is the problem. So Paul says, look, I need you, Timothy. That's why they're called the pastoral epistles. I need you to get these people focused. Get them off of fables. And then this in endless genealogies he talked about. And what that was about, that's kind of like today, you know, the people that are running around talking about they're the original Hebrew, you know, the Hebrew Israelites and all this other kind of stuff. People are trying to track genealogy and track themselves back to being the chosen people and to this and that. And Paul's like, none of that stuff will save you. Absolutely none of that stuff matters to God. And people are getting hung up on it. And he says it's false teaching. Just don't get caught up in it. Now, it is true. When you go look at all of the New Testament um, gospels like Matthew, Mark, um, I'm not sure, Luke, I know Matthew for sure. They give you the genealogy of Jesus where they trace him back all the way to Adam. Well, that's only so that you recognize that Jesus is the last Adam traced all the way back through the lineage of David. He's the son of David. Back through Abraham, back to Adam. Other than that, we don't have to trace ourselves back because we ain't going to trace ourselves back to nothing good, no way, um, if we really believe God. You know, the idea is that we ain't trying to trace ourselves back to that. We have died. And now we are new creation in Christ. And he says, look, you need to teach your church these, these doctrines. Stay with the word, make them strong, and they'll grow, and your church will be a nice, steady, calm place for people to come. Instead of like some of these places that they call church, and you go there, and it looked like they're having concerts, actually. I mean, some of the stuff that they're doing to keep people coming, the smoke on the stage and the lights and all of that, and you just got to go, like, really? That's what we're doing? I mean, Jesus is just not enough, I guess, you know, to keep people, you know, satisfied and trying to grow. And he goes into uh, verse 5, he says, Now the end of the commandment is charity. In other words, love, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of a faith unfeigned. So let's talk about these for a minute. He says that the commandment that God gave us, that you would love one another, he, Jesus said, this is the new commandment I give you all, because the old commandments, they're not thrown away. But the point is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is why in verse um, 2, when he says unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God. In other words, it's always about these things coming from God. Grace, which is the unmerited favor we get from God. Mercy, which is the fact that God, in order to have mercy, you have to have two things happen. One, you have to have a need, and second, the person has to be able to recognize and meet that need, and God can do both. All right, first, he recognized our need for a Savior, and the fact that we don't need to be judged according to our sins, because if we were, all of us going to die. So then what does he do? He extends his mercy to us by what? Recognizing that need and then providing a way. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, right? So God then gives us Christ. So now we have Christ. We have the mercy of God. So he says, the new commandment Jesus said I give you is that you love one another. Okay? As I've loved you, love one another. Because that's really the fulfillment of the law. If you love one another, you won't commit adultery. You won't murder. You won't lie. You won't steal from each other. If you love one another, love is the fulfillment of the commandment. He says, so the, the end of the commandment is love. He says, out of a pure heart. In other words, oh, my God, my God, my God. You can meet so many people, they just ain't real. You know what I'm saying? A pure heart means about being real. It's like there's so many people that are just so fake. They're, not, they're just not real. They, you know, they might want to be real, but they can't get, really get real. And, whereas... It doesn't mean they're perfect. It means they're real. There's a difference between the two. You know what I mean? You can meet a lot of people on the street. They're real. Now, they got a lot of problems, but they're real. Now, you know, if, if, if you give them $5 to go to the store, they're going to go and come back with it. They're real. Some uh, other people could be dressed up in the suit. You know you give them $5, you're not going to get what you think you're getting for that $5. They, they, even if they wanted to, they just not, their heart's not pure. God's like, look, this is about charity out of a pure heart. This is, I want to purify. Jesus said the pure in heart would see God. This is how it works. Then he says of what? And of a good conscience. 
you know, your conscience, that part of you that speaks to you that says, now you know that ain't right. Especially after you get saved. Now you know that ain't right. Well, but I think, you know, I don't know if I care what you think right now. Why is that part of you that's saying, now you know that ain't right? Because that's your conscience. So the Bible, Paul says, we should have a pure heart, a good conscience, and don't have fake faith. Because that's what that word means, faith unfeigned. Faith, faith not faked. You know, some people talk about faith, but they don't have any. Because faith is really about doing what the word says. That's the only way you can show your, demonstrate your faith. You know, the, the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I am doing something based on what I don't see. And I have to be doing this for real. Don't be a hypocrite. Paul says, so have a pure heart and a good conscience and don't be a hypocrite. And, and that's what this is all about. It, the rest of it, God will work it out. You don't have to do anything. Just keep doing this and keeping it right. Because then he says this in verse 6. For which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. You see what I'm saying? So that's what he's saying. That preaching you doing, jangling, jangling, jangling. You're just jangling. That's just vain jangling. That's all you're doing. He said, you know, and that's amazing that God would just say, that's all you, it's vain. Vain jangling. You're just talking. You just did, that's what God said. You know, all that. Whole sermon, and everybody could be, ooh, that's something, that's something, that's something. And God up there, jangling, 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 jangling. That's messed up. So we got to think, you know, we got to start getting serious about this. And say to ourselves, okay, hold up, God, wait, now, stop. I'm trying to make sure I get this right. So what you're telling me is that I need to have a pure heart so that if I'm dealing with people, and I'm really not, my heart really isn't pure toward them, I really need to be thinking about that, right? I need to make sure my conscience is clear. I, I don't allow my conscience to get seared by doing things that I know I shouldn't do, but then when my conscience tells me not to do them, I push past it. And my faith has to be real. This is what, and because other than that, you're saying that I basically, I'm swerving, and I'm just, it's vain jangling. And then he goes on, then he, to verse 7 and tells you what they start being like. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. So Paul says these were mostly the people who, and you see these people on TV now. You ever, I don't know if you've ever seen it on a Christian TV show where somebody won't explain to you all the festivals. And they'll start talking about, you know, trumpets and this and that. And then they'll explain to you every one of these festivals and what they mean and what was happening and what's going to happen next and why this happening. More than likely, Jesus is going to come on trumpets and all this stuff they're saying because they want to be teachers of the law. They want you to understand it from that legal law of the, the Bible and what was deep in there. Let me explain to you the high priest role and this, what this mean and what that mean. you like desiring to be teachers of the law. And Paul's like, you, vain jangling, you jangling. That's all he said, that's just jangling. You can turn on, when you turn the channel on, you see somebody, say, we're going to discuss today, you can just jangling, jangling, jangling. What you can do is just change the channel. Or you can watch it and sit there wondering, is Jesus coming on the next feast of trumpets? Or is he coming in tabernacles? Or, you know, anyway. All right here in the book, verse 8. But we know that the law is good. See, Paul says we know a law is good if, a law, if the law is used lawfully. Now, what we're going to see in the next verse, the next couple verses, we're going to see that Paul is saying, look, you don't need to teach the law to nobody. Basically, the law was given for one real reason, and we saw that in the book of Romans. And that was to make it clear to us how terrible people we were. Yeah, that, that, to convince everyone Y'all need a savior because this is how perfect God is, right? God says what? You'll have no other gods before him. You won't take his name in vain. That you won't commit adultery. You won't lie. You won't steal. You won't covet anything. You, all this stuff that he says, right? And then Jesus comes and makes it plain to them when he's talking to them and says, hey, if you look at a woman 
and any way other than just you looked at it and look away, you done committed adultery already with your, her in your heart. Wow. So, so for the man or person who walks around saying, well, I ain't never done that, lie, lie. Pants on fire. Unless you're saying you ain't never looked at anyone and had a thought to yourself, ooh, you're lying. But, and so God was trying to make it clear. Adultery is not, he's talking, when he said a pure heart, that's what, that's what perfect would be to God. Is a man or a woman who's walked the planet their whole life, never looked at any one of the opposite sex and thought any impure thought at all, ever, ever, ever in their whole entire life, then they could say, I'm not an, I've never committed adultery, you know, or even fornication, because the idea of that thought, he says, that's it. Yeah, God's, and see, this is where God gets us. He's trying to make us understand how pure the law is and how perfect he is. That was the reason for the law. Why are you teaching people that? Why do you think you're trying to teach them that the law plus Jesus? That's basically what they were doing. You all have Christ now. Now you have to keep the law. You know, you got to make sure you keep the law. So we're going to teach you what the law is and how you keep it and all that. And none of these things at all get us to the place where he wants us to be. But then he goes on to tell us why. Now, now we'll see, when you look at the, the next couple of verses, you'll see why it covers everybody. All right? Look at what he says. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Nine, knowing this, now see if you find yourself anywhere in here. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. So, I mean, if you've ever been disobedient, you in there. For the ungodly and for sinners. Well, if you're a sinner, you in there. For unholy and profane. Now, people may say, well, this ain't me. For murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. For manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. For men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So Paul is basically saying... The law was put here so we could all understand. We don't deserve God, and we're not going to get to him through the law. So we understand God's perfectness through the law. So me sitting here spending time, now I could sit here and tell you about the Ten Commandments. But for people to say, well, you know, the reason that the school system is messed up is because they took the Ten Commandments out of school. No, schools are messed up because children do not have God. <laughs> <laughs> and neither do the school. So if God is not in there, it wouldn't matter how many. You could put the Ten Commandments and stamp them over everybody's head. That's not going to change anything. You know, the, <laughs> you can do anything you want. You, you could pray in school all day long. You could Bible read all day long. That's not going to change people's hearts if they don't know Christ. And the bottom line is the school just going to be just as terrible with all that in there. So, so his point is that we cannot believe that somehow this is the way we're going to get there, and we have to make sure we're not teaching this kind of false doctrine. Get these people straight. Then he goes on, he says in verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before. Now, Paul lists all the things about himself that you get to see uh, that, that uh, it's just really fa uh, fantastic that, or probably a better word to say is astounding, that God first allowed this man to do all that he did and then took him and basically made him, like Paul said, a pattern for everybody else. And I think this is just my thoughts because I can't say that scripturally you can, you find it here. I just think reading it, it seems to hold some value. And that is that God allowed Paul to do all this stuff he did because it was so over the top. It's none of us have been there. You know, none of us have been as, if you look at Paul's background as a Pharisee and as a Jew, like he said, when you look at his credentials, oh, he was the perfect chosen one person, right? You know, all these people who want to be the Israelite Hebrews and all that stuff. Bottom line is that Paul was perfect in genealogy and everything. He was, had the Jewish heritage, had everything, was raised by the right teachers, was a Pharisee. He had it all down. And then, on that side, then he ends up being, he describes it, one of the worst offenders 
of trying to stamp out Christianity that there could be. So when you start talking about atheists or them other people, they ain't got nothing on Paul. Paul says in verse, let's look at verse 13. He said, who before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. Now let's talk about that. So a blasphemer, meaning that typically when you blaspheme, you're saying things that are near cursing of typically a religious person or a book or something like that. So Paul declares that he, in fact, was a blasphemer. Obviously, he didn't blaspheme the Holy Ghost because had he done that, he would not be able to receive forgiveness, Jesus said. But he was blaspheming the name of Christ, you know, not God, the Father, but Jesus, because Jesus had come during the time that Paul was alive, for sure, because when Stephen got stoned, Paul was there holding the garments. So Paul was old enough to be aware of Jesus, and he was aware of the claims that Jesus made. And as a Pharisee, because remember, what the, Jesus was always attacking the Pharisees. So as a Pharisee, he just despised Jesus' name. And so he basically probably called him, you know, a, a, a child of Baal and, or a servant of Baal, you know, all these things that he was saying. He was a demon-possessed man and all this blaspheming Christ, blaspheming Christ, blaspheming Christ. So I, I've never done that. Even before I got saved, whenever that was, because I can't really remember, you know, when it happened exactly. But even up to whenever, I don't ever remember blaspheming Jesus. You know, and just calling him a demon or saying things about him or doing things of that nature. I've never done that. So, Paul, wow. So, you know, you can't say that Paul hadn't been there. He was a persecutor. He literally persecuted other Christians. Um, he, he would go and have them thrown in jail. He would do things, you know, to, to uh, make sure that they stayed in jail. They blasphemed. He was doing all this stuff. And then he uses this word injurious. And that word injurious actually comes from a word that means beyond, it was like past the legal limit of persecution. It's kind of like, you know, where you can torture somebody, but then you're not supposed to go that extra pinch. And that's what that word means. So that Paul literally was being brutal with people. In other words, if, he had, if they were going to be thrown in jail, then he the one that's going to knock your head up against the the sail on the way in, you know, yeah, he, he's the one going to hit you one more time with the stick, even though you're down on the ground. Kick you one more time before they throw you in the paddy wagon. You know what I'm saying? That was Paul. He hated Christians. He hated Jesus. He hated the gospel. I mean, this man was full of fury. And, 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 but then he goes on to say that God had mercy on him because he did it out of ignorance. But still he did it, you know, so the point is that then he goes on, though, he says this in verse 16, how be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So in other words, this is why you could tell anybody, look, I know what you did. I got it. But trust me, God can forgive you. Let me tell you about Paul. Not only was Paul a blasphemer, not only was Paul a persecutor, but Paul literally, you know, slammed your head up against the wall on the way into the cell. Why he cursing Jesus and why he's making you blaspheme because he hated God so bad. What you did, you didn't even do it hating God. Most of the things that people are doing, you know, uh, somebody's a prostitute, somebody's a drug dealer, somebody, whatever they are, they're not in the process of doing it most of the time going I hate Jesus, you know, they're not doing that. They're just doing what they do. They're just sinners, and they're really bad at it. You know, I mean, they're bad sinners, man. They just do bad stuff. Well, Paul says, look, I'm your pattern. If you think you, your life is bad, look at mine and understand. Look what God did with me. So if God can do this with me, God can forgive you. You just have to get in line with the word and understand the truth. And don't get caught up in all this false teaching and stuff. Then he goes on and he says, Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, this then was the 
introduction. All right, so Paul introduces himself. He talks to Timothy. He says all these things, and he lays out this introduction as he gets ready to roll into now what are instructions for the church. See, so he's, he's basically setting himself up. I'm an apostle. I left you here so that you would teach them to teach the right doctrines. You have these people that are teaching stuff about fables, that are nothing but fables and genealogies and all kind of other stuff that's leading to nothing but vain jangling. Oh, that's all y'all got going on. You're calling it preaching and teaching. It's just jangling. And now they've swerved away from the faith, They're teaching all kind of other doctrines and things that they shouldn't be. They want to be the teachers of the law and going on about Jewish traditions and all this other kind of stuff. The law we understand was made for all of us lawless types. And the bottom line is, if you are righteous in Christ, the law don't apply to you like that. You need to live in mercy. Does it mean that you don't do good things? No, absolutely, you should do good things. But the good things don't add to your salvation. You're saved because of what Christ did. He fulfilled the law perfectly. Now you live it out. Have a pure conscience, I mean a pure heart, have a clear conscience, and have real faith. And then you'll get to where it is you want to go. Look at me. I was a blasphemer. I was a horrible man. But Jesus had mercy on me because I didn't know what I was doing. But now he's letting me be a pattern for the rest of y'all so that you can put away your past, not worry about all that. And then what? Just put your faith in Christ. Now I'm going to tell you what to teach the church. <laughs> he says, now, in verse 18, he says, This charge I commit unto you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou through them mightest war a good warfare. So in other words, Paul apparently, whenever they laid hands on Timothy and prayed for him, there were some prophecies that went forth about Timothy's life, that he would be uh, probably a pastor and that he would be responsible for doing great works and all that. And the Bible says that these things were spoken to him so that he might war a good warfare. This is kind of like what happened with Gideon. When, when God told, spoke to Gideon and said, go and do your thing, and Gideon said, how am I going to know, and can I get a sign, and God gave him the sign, and then Gideon went down, and he heard the dream, and so he, he was constantly being uh, given encouragement that this is going to go for you. This is going to go for you. So he tells Timothy, he says, these prophecies are going out on you so you can war a good warfare. Then in verse 19, he says, holding faith, here we go again, and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, this is a whole mouthful, and I think that this is where we're going to spend the rest of our mouth at <laughs> this time. Paul says that, he says, look, I need you to, uh, you know, you, you know what you heard about yourself. Now, I need you to have, hold on to the faith and a good conscience. See, your conscience is, is so important. People keep talking about the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. Well, there's only one way the spirit can really speak to you. And that's through your conscience. I remember one time my dad, we were having this conversation, and he kept saying, because we were talking about the Spirit, and I was saying all this stuff about the Spirit and all that. And he was like, son, let me ask you a question. And I said, yes. He said, if God was going to speak to you, how would he do it? And I was kind of perplexed, because my dad always had these questions, and I didn't really know where he was going. So I just kind of was like, hmm, well, I don't know. He said, through your mind. Like that, right? And I said, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, think about it. If God is speaking to you, how are you going to understand it? Because, you know, a lot of times people say, well, you know, my spirit said. Well, did, you, did it really? I mean, I, I, I don't know because I've never really dealt with, I've never split anybody open to know. You know, the, the same thing that makes me think about other things is how I say God saying to me, or God's speaking to me, or God's, my sense. It, it, it's the same. I, 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 I think the same way. I mean, if I decide right now I'm going to go to dinner, the next word that's about to come out of my mouth as I'm talking is I think, because some of them come to me ahead of time, as I'm thinking, it's the same thing. So right now I could say, well, you know what I think God want me to tell y'all? 
Well, how do I think, how do I know that? Because it's coming through my mind. Now, what, now, whether my spirit's doing it, the Holy Spirit's doing it with my spirit, whatever going on, his point was, it's all filtering through your mind. So this is why your conscience is so important, because that's the thing that makes you say, hmm, well, you know, I was going to take them cookies. But I don't know if I ought to take them cookies, because, you know, I think them cookies belong to somebody else, but they ain't been back. They've been sitting there for a week. I mean, you know, or you see, you go to the gas station. Let's use that's a good example. There's a hundred dollar bill on the ground next to the gas pump, and you like, hmm. Well, I mean, you know, find this keepers, but it's not yours, right? But I mean, it's theirs you're on the ground. I mean, the law says that you know, if if you find something, you, you, it all better be yours, right? But what the law of your mind telling you right now? Well. I really think I ought to take it inside and give it to them and tell them I found it by the pump and just in case somebody come. Well, but I mean, if I do that, they might keep it themselves. I don't know that they're going to turn it to the other person. See, see, you go back and forth with yourself when really what you should be doing is what is your first mind about the thing and what do you think you should do? And if you say to yourself you can do what you're going to do and you're clear in doing it, then go forward. You know, don't, don't keep, see, introspection is a bad thing a lot of times. People don't really understand it. The Bible doesn't say be, get, get introspective with yourself. What introspection means is, it's like when we tell you on um, Sunday, where we say, um, first Sunday, um, examine yourself and judge yourself. That don't mean go try to dig up every bone you can find. You know, you need six hours, you know, to do this. That's not what's going on. Your conscience, if you ask God, if you say, Father, I do not want to violate my conscience. Right now, I want to take this communion in good faith. I want to know. I want to judge myself correctly. It ain't going to take but a lightning bolt for the things that God wants you to deal with right now. This is what I want you to deal with. It's going to come to your mind. You're going to already know it. It's going to already come to your mind, and you're going to want to put it away and say, no, nah, well, that can't be nothing. I mean, I mean, you know, that's, well, that's it. That's the thing. What you don't do is sit there and go, well, I can't really think of nothing. All right, well, let me keep thinking. Keep thinking. It got to be something. You know, God say, judge yourself. Hey, let me make it. It got to be something. Well, if your conscience is not telling you anything, then you say, okay, Father, I judge myself in whatever area that I'm not aware of or I'm not consciously aware of, I am open to you showing me but I take this now in good conscience. And then you take it and you move on. But if your conscience is not clear and it's seared, that's why the Bible says over time it can get seared. Well, it's easy to know when your conscience is seared by asking somebody whose conscience isn't. And the best person to ask is Jesus. And you do that by looking at the word. See, so this is why when people get caught in adultery, right? People always inevitably say things like, well, I, I mean, you know, it just seemed right. Something wrong in that situation. You had to have put away a good conscience because the Holy Spirit would have been trying to tell you that this ain't good. You need, to, you need to back up off of this. You need to stop. You need to stop. You need to stop. And the word tells you to stop. Word tells you that ain't right. But you keep pressing back past because you are using something else to justify it. And when you do that, your conscience gets more and more seared, and you're more and more capable of going deeper into darkness. If you look at the word and use it as a mirror, then the word reflects right back to you immediately who you are. And if you react to what the mirror says, you keep your conscience pure. If you don't, you end up being like, Paul names these two people, and he says they put away a good conscience. See, so they put it away, and he says when you put away a good conscience, you will make your faith shipwreck. Now, these are the words he uses. Think about shipwreck. That's when your stuff crashing on the shore. So he says that basically you have faith, you've put away a good conscience, so now you can do, you can do anything almost with some things. You, you know, this is how... You can, I used to wonder, how can people preach 
And it's happening all the time. You know, how can people preach and be in a pulpit and be involved in certain things and not deal with those things? How can they do that? Well, you got to put away a good conscience. You have to, you know, but eventually the Bible says all sin gets judged. The Bible says your sin will find you out sooner or later. And, and this is what I, I think I know based on reading the Bible. God is not trying to hurt us. God is trying to discipline us in the sense of chastising us for our good, which means that God is not trying to expose you to hurt you. So it would seem to indicate, as you read about how perfect love will cover multitude of sins and all this stuff, but he that covers his sins will get found out and things like that. If you cover in your own sins, that's one thing. God can cover you and keep you if you confess and you keep working and trying to do whatever. But if you put away a good conscience, you'll go deeper into darkness and eventually God will expose you. So there's some things that you find out, you know, from ministers and you're like, whoa, how could that have happened? I mean, you know, because you've been up there preaching, 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 and, and then you're having um, some type of molestation of children even going on inside your building, right? How you do that? How are you doing that? You know, you reach a place where now what you're doing is going beyond the normal bounds of decency even which is what Paul talked about with this person who was uh, having fornication with his stepmom. He says, y'all got stuff going on, and the Gentiles ain't even got going on. It's, it's, it's crazy stuff. And you all should be upset about it. Instead, you're celebrating like it's all good. So the thing is, how can you do this stuff? Because you put away a good conscience. Once you put away a good conscience, all kind of stuff you can justify because you just start believing that it's okay. Well, Paul says these guys, and we see this in two places. Now, the Bible doesn't seem to indicate that, well, I will say this. The Bible does seem to indicate that the church as a whole has this authority. But it does not appear that individuals have this authority anymore. You know, it appears that this was apostolic authority uh, that they were exercising but it does appear that the church still exercises this authority, okay? In other words, Paul says, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan. So it appears that Paul was able to, because of what they were doing, that he had the authority to turn the devil loose on these folks, which my assumption would mean then that the different type of torment and other things that the devil can inflict on people, he was able to inflict on these guys because they had put away a good conscience and were living their lives in such a way that Paul was like, look, I'm turning them over. Why? He says, so they can learn. See, again, this is not about trying to hurt them, but they need to learn something. You need to learn not to blaspheme. You know, I saw a guy today, and I was talking to him about, we were talking about, just spiritual things in general. And I told him, I said, look, if once people really understand all this, everything, it's all spiritual. I said, all the stuff you're seeing happening, demons or the Holy Spirit is behind every bit of it. I said, and like I told my wife the other day, I said, look, you and I have to recognize something. All the pastors and people should, but we definitely just recognize for ourselves. Every day we get up, the devil got a target on our back. All right, if he can take us down and out, he takes this whole church down and out. Now, that doesn't mean the church don't need us or needs us like that, no. But if you take us out like that, you're going to inflict some damage. You inflict damage on people's thought patterns about what we've been saying all this time, what we've been doing, how we live, whatever the case might be. And what does that mean for them? Uh, we thought they were doing pretty good. We thought their life was okay. We thought that this or that or the other. And the devil done got in and just messed your life all up, whatever that looks like or whatever it means even if it means just cutting you off. You know, that's why every, when we pray, you know, look, Father, watch over when she's on the road, when she's driving, when you're this, when we're that. Keep our minds on you. Keep us focused. Keep us covered. You know, we have a task, and we have to understand the devil has a target on your back. You know, everybody keeps talking about these people on these, like the guy, the people that got shot at the Waffle House over there on Segan Lane. That was targeted. 
It's like 3 in the morning. Who sits in the Waffle House parking lot at 3 in the morning? It was over there for something. And whoever walked up to that car intended to take them out because there's nothing but bullet holes all in the win windows, right? It was like a targeted shooting. Well, that's how devil is. He, he got a target on us, each of us, all of us. And if we understand that, we realize we need to stay out of his arena. So apparently, Paul was like, look, y'all need to learn something. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to turn y'all over <laughs> to the devil. Now, when we see in another place, in this was in Corinthians. This is where Paul, this was in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this was, um, let me see. No, it was 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to look at verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and this is verse 4 and 5. This is what Paul said to them. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So again, then, that the church was being commanded that this individual who was caught up in this grievous kind of sin was to be turned over, i.e. excommunicated from the church and turned over to the devil. Now, today, the pattern we live in today is, hey, we just, everybody doing whatever they want to do, how they do it, and we all say, well, you know what I'm going to do. I mean, you know, I mean, we all got problems. Well, we all going to get turned over to Satan in if, 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 if we believe that we all got the kind of problems that this situations are talking about, where Paul turned uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander over, when he turned this other person over. If we all think we're in that, then get ready. God then going to turn us all over to the devil. But he says here for the destruction of the flesh, that literally means something was going to happen. Like it says in, the, in um, Corinthians where it talks about communion, weakness, sickness, death. Something was going to happen so that God then could what? Have a chance at saving this person's soul. So instead of just letting them go on and on and on, he's like, we're going to turn them over. Now, one of the places, and I want to mention this, when we're praying, and I can't say that it's not necessarily correct. I, I, I venture to say that it makes sense that it works there as well. But it wasn't intended for the place sometime we talk about it. And that is where we'll say, like, say y'all in here now. And I pray, Father, I thank you because the Bible says where two or three are gathered in your name, you're in the midst of us, right? So there's one, two, three, four, five, however many you have. And so the idea is that if it's two or three, God is there. But if you go look up those scriptures and take them in context, you'll find out that this is where they were used. It was used when you were talking about somebody offending somebody. And it says... Let's say one of you all offend me. I'm supposed to go to you and say, you offended me. Tell you how. You and I talk about it. And we wipe it out between ourselves. And it's over with. If we don't get it straight, and I'm still not convinced that you understand and you refuse to repent, then I'm supposed to go and get two more people. And those two people, I'm supposed to let them witness this. And then they say whatever they think about it. If you won't accept what they say, we're supposed to bring it to the whole church. Now think about this now. This don't go on nowhere I know about. And if it did, the first thing people say is, I don't want to go to church there. They too messy. They be stirring up stuff all the time. Well, no, you stirring it up. Because if you offend somebody and they come to you now and tell you you offended them, just say you sorry. I'm sorry. I repent. But if you say, I ain't worrying about you, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to get two more people. And they go get two more people, well, you start mess. No, I'm not. I'm doing what Jesus said. Jesus is the one who said it. So I'm going to get two more people. We, I'm telling you, look, this is what they did. And then they, they, I, I, I found out we work at the same place. I found out that they were talking behind my back. I went to them and said it. They told me they didn't think it was a problem, even if they did say it. And then, and then you say it in front of them. Yep, that's what I said. Okay, fine. People come get me, pastor, this was going on. So I call the person in. That what happened? Yep, okay, well, you know, now do it. You need to repent. I, I ain't, I'm, okay, this was finna happen. Sunday morning, before we go online, 
I'm telling everybody. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm going to. What, what they're going to probably leave themselves anyway. And then they're going to tell everybody. That church ain't nothing but messy. Let me tell you what happened, right? Because they don't want to be disciplined. Now, this is the process Jesus put in place. We didn't put it in place. Instead of using Jesus' process, we use our own, and that's why the church got so much mess all the time. Instead of just using his process. So what we do is we use our own. We don't want to offend nobody. We, want to we don't want no mess. I don't like drama, whatever. The Lord will get them. You know, we're saying all these things that he didn't say. And then we keep wondering why everything's festering. So the Bible then says, after the church, it says, if they don't want to hear the church, put them out and treat them like a heathen. <laughs> That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus said. Put them out and treat them like a heathen. He said, because where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So God is saying, I am, I'm, I'm validating y'all's judgment. If y'all are honest and got the Holy Ghost and go through this whole process, uh, look, I'm there. I'm with you. You don't need to be praying, Lord, show us what to do. Oh, Lord, show us what to do. The church has made a decision. This is what we're going to do. And if it's scriptural, I'm, you, go, you got to go. I'm sorry. And God says he's in the midst of it. So when they leave, they can't just go join another church like people think they can, and it's going to be all right. It don't work like that. But it, it seems to function this way, but that's why there's so much, I think, problems and other stuff with churches. Now, we don't have that problem. And I'm serious, we really don't. I don't think we, I'm going to say I don't think we have it, mainly because I know from my perspective, up here, I do mine right away. And yes, if you done something, I'm coming at you as soon as I can. I try to come at you and tell you about it. And most of the time, that's the end of it anyway. So my, usually the way the head of something functions is how it all functions. Yeah, so if I call you to the side and say, well, look, you know, let me tell you, Bobo Jones, he get on my nerves. Now, I ain't never told Bobo, okay? Now, there are times you have to share things, let's say, because people are in a, in a higher position. I may be talking to Brother Chris about something going on or whatever, not because I'm talking about somebody, but he need to know about it, let's say. But if I'm just picking any people and just talking about this here and that, and then, well, in their mind, well, why they can't do that? You know, whatever goes on always flows its way down, and that's just the way it is. So the bottom line is that we need to recognize that Paul is telling Timothy, here is part of the process. When these people are doing all this stuff, you better understand that you need to keep the church pure, because if you don't, this is what he said in Corinthians, and it's the last thing most people are at home, so we'll take two more minutes. Just give me one more minute, y'all. Um, I keep forgetting that people in the sanctuary now. Y'all are not sitting in your living rooms. But I, I just want to finish this one thing I want to say. This is what he told them in verse, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is verse 6 and, through 8. Now just listen to this and think about it. Wow. He says, your glorying is not good. You know, y'all having your little fellowships and all that. Your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, hold on. Yeah, I, I, I got to go on some more. Let me read the rest of these verses. Put the rest of these up. Put 9 through 13. 9 through 13. Just, just listen to it. Let's look at it now. I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. Now, Pastor ain't said, Paul said this, yet not altogether with the fornicators of the world. I ain't talking about them people at work or on the job or at the gas station. I ain't talking about them or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then you're going to have to lead the world. 
But now I have written unto you not to company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or a covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such one not to eat. For what have I to do with judge them also that are without? Do not we judge them that are within? But them that are without God judges. Therefore, put away from among you the wicked person. So Paul said, look, man, I done told y'all. I told you not to company. If, but if a person is living a lifestyle where they have given themselves over to these sins, I told you, you don't even eat with them people, man. Don't, don't treat them. Yeah, just treat them, put them out. He said, treat them like you would somebody in the world. Not to hurt them. But you better understand, y'all going to turn the devil loose on the whole church. Then everybody going to wonder why they can't sleep. You know, why our money ain't right? Why we sick? Why stuff going on? Because you got stuff going on that you absolutely refuse to deal with when it's right in your face. See, now there's some stuff you don't know, and you all, we can speculate on everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I know what I do when I was 10. I know you're doing it. I don't know what you're doing like that, and God didn't tell me. But if you come in my face and I see something you're doing, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with all this. You can't just, as a church, he's telling Timothy, you can't just let this go. You must deal with it, Mr. Pastor Man, or get down out the pulpit. You know, the church has to manage it. I mean, we're the people of God. That's supposed to mean something, you know. We're not holier than thou, but we're the people of God. We come to God, we acknowledge our transgressions, we acknowledge what is sin, and we walk away from it. And to what we're bound by, we confess it, and continue to try to work through it. Amen?